Hello and welcome to the Muni Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves and I'm the managing editor for Deadwire Municipals. Joining me today is my colleague, Mary Ellen Ty, our assistant editor. But no one else is joining us. Usually we have Seth, our deputy editor, and Greg, our head of research, but they've decided to not participate. Actually, no, they're just not able to join us today. So, Mary Ellen, you're going to be carrying the load. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So, been quite a busy week in the municipal market. And obviously, Puerto Rico is always hovering over everything we do in the market. What's the latest with Whitefish, uh, Mary Ellen? Thanks, Paul. One of our reporters, Javier, wrote an article earlier this week regarding this contentious contract between Whitefish and the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, PREPA. There's a clause in the contract basically saying that PREPA, the Puerto Rico government, and federal agencies, including FEMA, can't audit or review cost and profit elements of the labor contract. And what our colleague reported is that 10 days before the contract was signed, PREPA and FEMA had a meeting that did discuss that particular contract. Uh, FEMA has said it won't reimburse any contracts with clauses like that. So in terms of Puerto Rico paying for restoring the grid, that sort of contract wouldn't fall into FEMA's reimbursements, which is something that has been counted on. So yeah, that's what's going on with Whitefish there. There will be a hearing on Whitefish on Monday. So just for the audience, because uh, you said Javier's first name, but not, not his last name, Balmaceda. So it was Javier Balmaceda who wrote that article on Whitefish and you were starting to get into the hearing on Monday. What exactly is going to be the, the purpose of this hearing? Yeah, so Judge Laura Taylor Swain, who is overseeing all of the Title Threes for Puerto Rico, will be looking into two big issues. The first is that the Unsecured Creditor Committee will be asking to look into the Whitefish contract. And the second is that she will consider the appointment of Noel Zamat as Chief Transformation Officer of PREPA. Okay, and uh, this whole issue with the Chief Transformation Officer, I, I think it also came up last week during a Congressional Committee meeting, right? The National Resources Committee? Yeah, the House Committee on Natural Resources had tried to bring up a whole bunch of people related to Puerto Rico and PREPA to talk about the Whitefish contract, but also restoring power, also FEMA responses. The CEO of PREPA did not come, which everyone expressed some concerns about. What's his name, uh, Mario? Ricardo Ramos. People in the committee were disappointed that Ramos was not there, but the board asked for powers to install Zamont as chief transformation officer. The board tried to put him in this role a few weeks ago, and the governor has pushed back against it. PREPA has pushed back against it. So they asked Congress to further outline their powers, which they believe include appointing this chief transformation officer. So even though Mr. Ramos didn't participate in the hearing, he did participate the next day, though, didn't he, with a press conference? And what did he have to say? Well, one of the first things he said was that he would resign if... Zamat is appointed, but he also alleged that the federal government, uh, the oversight board, and the utilities creditors are all working to stifle the efforts of the government of Puerto Rico. And 
when he was talking about the federal government, he feels like he's been trapped in this fight, Democrats versus Republicans, and the oversight board with the CTO and the utilities creditors who have maintained in some instances that PREPA is not as damaged as it seems to be with, what, 40% of people having power. Okay, and... During the hearing, the Natural Resources Committee hearing, uh, was there anything discussed around the plans to fix the electrical grid? Yeah, the naturally the committee was super interested in when the grid would be back online, aren't we all? And Zamat said that if he is approved, which would potentially happen on Monday, then he anticipates having a plan for the total cost to fix Puerto Rico's power system in as little as two weeks, that was the earliest he felt like he could know. Um, Governor Ricardo Rosselló has hoped to have 95% of people with power by the Christmas holiday, but this chief transformation officer didn't comment on whether or not that was realistic. This is interesting that, uh, at least in terms of the prepper CEO, uh, Ricardo Ramos, just having his commentary about being caught in like this uh, political knot. And it just makes you wonder about the whole process in the sense that this all started because of this whitefish contract, this whitefish contract that was for this two-person firm. But it's, my understanding is that there, there aren't any complaints necessary about their work, but there are complaints around how this contract was originated, and it just makes you wonder, you know, if maybe if PREPA, or by extension, the Commonwealth had done a better job of explaining why they were bringing in whitefish, because it, it just seems hard to believe that no one thought that when folks found out it was a two-person company from Montana and, you know, the same place where the Interior Secretary is from, that this wasn't going to be an issue. So it, it just seems like it's been been poorly handled, and now this is all in the context of a, a humanitarian disaster that continues. So, um, But with Puerto Rico, there's always a lot of other interesting things, and we try to leverage different sources. Uh, so in the past uh, week or so, there's been a few bond insurer earnings calls as well as uh, Puerto Rican uh, bank earnings calls. And what did we glean uh, from those calls, Mary Ellen? Yeah, last week we talked a little bit about one of the banks reporting earnings. And these are just people that are in many ways maybe average Puerto Ricans that are trying to work. Things from the banks like the number of debit and credit card transactions really show how online the electric system is and how whether or not the Commonwealth will be able to collect certain taxes like sales and use tax that are mostly collected on um, non-cash transactions. This week, one of the insurers had a call that I listened in on MBIA, and there's been a lot of debate about how soon Puerto Rico should work to come up with a new fiscal plan and how quickly the Title III proceedings should continue in light of the hurricane. The board has said that it would like new fiscal plans for the water authority, the power authority, and the government also by about Christmas time. And the the insurer call that I was on was very much like we shouldn't move on any of these plans until we know how much federal funding is available 
and what that's going to look like, which could take, I mean, who, who knows how long the federal answer will take. Right. And, and which were the banks that we listened in on? Uh, I think one of them was Popular Bank. Right. Popular, uh, First Bank, Santander. We, we try and really focus on banks that have a lot of branches in Puerto Rico. Okay. And, and let's uh, circle back to the Natural Resources Committee hearing in, in terms of any other information that was gleaned around finances and around the demographics in terms of uh, any potential migration happening. Yeah. So like I was saying, in terms of the MBIA wanting to wait for knowing how much federal money is available, the oversight board had requested that there be an additional sort of medium term liquidity. Puerto Rico has gotten short term liquidity in forms of loans and grants and funding, but the board feels like money will be needed through most of 2018 and the board would like to direct those efforts to ensure that they go to hurricane relief, not creditors, and also not preventing cuts that the board would like to make. Uh, if you remember before the hurricane arrived, the board was trying to force the government to enact furloughs. So there's been some tension there in terms of what the government and the board would like to do. Another tension is that Natalie Juresco, who is the executive director of the board. Is that her correct title, Paul? Yes, of the Financial Oversight and Management Board. Yeah. Um, she told Congress that population had decreased by 100,000 people, which Puerto Rico has, what, three and a half million? So that's a pretty big number. However, Florida has reported that it's received 130,000 people from Puerto Rico. And this sort of points to after the after the hearing, Governor Roseo said that he didn't feel like the testimony accurately reflected what's going on in Puerto Rico. And this might be one of those numbers that he would point to. Yeah, it's very interesting down there because there's a lot of things that one could make the case haven't been exactly accurate. I mean, one of the latest things has been the number of deaths and whether or not that's been reported accurately. And to be fair, that's usually pretty tough during a natural disaster to get right. But then you have this whitefish contract, and then it seems like the board is, is trying to uh, consolidate its power in terms of moving forward in certain directions. And it's it's really hard to discern who's being accurate. I'll put it that way. Because <laughs> you have a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of different agendas at work I mean, obviously, if the board gets more power, that means less power for the governor and vice versa. And given that the, the Commonwealth was going through a restructuring, kind of makes sense that you would have this outside en entity trying to uh, take more control. So I think this is going to be interesting on Monday to see what happens with this chief transformation officer, right? Because if uh, if if the, that CTO was is able to come into play, it doesn't seem like it leaves much room to, for the governor to really be involved in with the recovery. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I agree, Paul. It doesn't, it seems like it would remove a lot of PREPA's power. Now, um, Mr. Zemat, when he was speaking to Congress, did reiterate several times that he would be looking to build towards Puerto Rico's 2040 vision for PREPA, which is like half renewable, half natural gas. So 
at least for now, he's talking like he wants to work towards the goals that Prepa outlined when he wasn't in charge. So while they might be limited in power now, it does seem like he intends to be respectful of their objectives. And then finally, there's a, a second hearing coming up next week, correct? Yeah, there will be an omnibus hearing. So we haven't, there, there was an omnibus hearing scheduled for mid-October, which basically got canceled. All of the materials were moved to this omnibus hearing, which will be on Wednesday. The omnibus hearings are sort of an amalgamation of many, there, there's more than 20 pieces of litigation going on. So Swain will hear arguments on certain pieces of litigation in any one of the number of cases. And they're regularly scheduled. She set an entire um, year of schedules at the very beginning so that these people are really encouraged to come in and stay on track. Okay, then. So it seems like there's going to be a lot to digest when we record our next uh, podcast uh, next week. Yeah. But let's move on to Washington, D.C. Uh, looks like the municipal market got uh, turned on its head over the last week, or specifically on November 3rd, when the Tax Cuts and Job Act excuse me, Jobs Act, was announced and released. Now, it's still not in its final form, um, but there seems to be some interesting proposals that has the the market very concerned uh, around eliminating the tax exemption for private activity bonds. These are bonds that are usually for a government purpose done by nonprofits, affordable housing, um, airports. They're also talking about the elimination of stadium finance bonds. Not sure that wouldn't be a bad thing. But No one hey. would miss those, I think. I think that there would no, be No, many... I think people might miss them, but I don't know if it's... I mean, it seems like not all, but <laughs> some of the times when you have these bonds that get into trouble, they're related to a stadium for, whether it's a soccer stadium or minor league baseball or football... So, yeah, that's certainly an issue. But it's also looking to eliminate uh, the tax exemption for 501c3 bonds. And that brings into play nursing homes, hospitals, nonprofits. Uh, They're also looking to repeal tax credit bonds. And remember, tax credit bonds were the vehicle in which uh, they put together the Build America bonds uh, that came out in 2009 and 2010. Uh, and they're also looking to eliminate advanced refunding bonds, which is another interesting niche of the market in terms of bonds that aren't callable now, but they're putting the escrow until they are callable uh, in order for issuers to receive some sort of interest rate savings. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of, and I, I haven't given a comprehensive list, but there's a lot of things there in, you know, put into the context of, the Republicans have control of the Congress and the President and the White House, and they haven't had a significant piece of legislation passed yet. It seems like there's a lot of momentum around getting something done. Now, whether it includes any or all of the proposals I've just listed, we'll have to wait and see, but it's it's certainly clear that there's a a lot of emphasis on getting something done. Uh, so... 
the municipal markets probably has good reason to be concerned because there'll probably be some, if not all, of these things that are enacted. So it's something we'll be keeping a close eye on. But let's move on. This past Tuesday was Election Day. Mary Ellen, were there any key initiatives uh, that were worth highlighting? Yeah, thanks, Paul. If you've been listening to the Muni Lowdown for any length of time, we've been speaking frequently about a pension obligation bond measure in Houston for about a billion dollars. And that did pass along with about $500 million of other measures in Houston. Most of the authorizations that we were tracking passed. Um, some other big numbers included a billion dollars in Austin for new schools. Nice. Any other pieces of, uh, or any other ballot initiatives that were worth highlighting? Yeah, there was an interesting measure in Pennsylvania. Voters amended the Constitution to eliminate property taxes, which account for about 30% of local and state revenues and are the largest source of funding for public schools. So the legislature is going to have to figure out how to raise that funding and what tools it needs to give its municipalities in order to be able to function in a, um, I guess, in a no property tax environment. So that'll be interesting to see. Okay. And um, let's move on to Lombard over in Illinois. Um, Can you explain a little bit about this situation? It's a Chapter 11 bankruptcy uh, eligibility trial. Why is this important for our, our audience to be aware of? Yeah, so what makes it interesting is that it's a Chapter 11. Municipalities file for bankruptcy under Chapter 9. Puerto Rico has this exemption carved out with Title 3s. Chapter 11 is really where we see corporate restructurings. And what we have been talking about is the Lombard, Lombard Public Facilities Corporation, which is in Illinois. They had reached an agreement with bondholders and insurers holding 70% of the bonds to a plan of reorganization, but some of the remainders are arguing that it shouldn't be allowed to file for Chapter 11 because it's a municipality, and Illinois doesn't have Chapter 9, so they're trying to prevent it from entering bankruptcy court in any way. Um, They also argue that the Public Facilities Corporation is an instrumentality of the city, though the city has declined to backstop the bonds. There's a parallel here to the Las Vegas monorail, which also went through Chapter 11 as there was no other venue for it in Nevada. So, and Mary Ellen, what does the corporation do in terms of their operations? It's a hotel, restaurant. To me, it sounds a bit like a convention center. Okay. Convention center that clearly has not been doing... Well, so, and one more, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the capital city of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What's what's, what's been happening there recently? Yeah, so we just talked about Pennsylvania municipalities being faced with this unique challenge of figuring out where they're going to come up with revenue. And Harrisburg, earlier this week, drew their, their redevelopment authority had an unscheduled draw on debt service reserves. These are funds that are set aside when bonds are issued in order to help the issuer make the payment if there's any sort of shortfall. But it's not enough to repay the whole issuance. Usually it's enough to help make um, maybe one or two full payments. In this case, the draw was described as reflecting financial difficulties. So Harrisburg does not appear to be out of the woods. Okay, well, that'll be another situation to watch. 
Wow, that was a, a lot for this week. Uh, and there'll be more next week to follow. But hope everyone's enjoyed listening to our latest edition of the Muni Lowdown. And we'll talk to you next week.